John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is the Omnibus. have accessed entry 1319.MT2507, certificate number 28564, The Torch Lady. talk a lot on the show about you loving the movies i do love the movies i love the, just the magic of the silver screen John. <laughs> mm-hmm. glittering images on a giant silver screen sound that i can feel yeah somehow heartbreak feels good in a place like this you're describing your home theater which is an exceptional place to watch a film i don't know if a sound i can feel is something that i get watching uh, 30 rock on my laptop we do not really have a i mean i hate watching movies on my phone we don't really have a super Fancy home theater, but like, it doesn't take much now to just point a projector at a white wall and suddenly you've got a pretty good screen. The problem we have with sound is that um, we have a fuse box on the same wall where the subwoofer is. So anytime anything rumbly happens in a movie. It rattles the, the door. The metal door. The fuse <laughs> goes, so I, every time that happens in a movie, I think, you know, before that happens again, I'm going to figure out some way to put something soft and gummy under there so it stops doing that. And then I forget. Uh, yeah. It's not exactly THX certified. You don't have one of those sound bars? You still have like a, a 1994 subwoofer thing? I have a set of speakers. I guess it would be 5-1 sound. Is that what it is? Center, yeah. left, right, back, back. Rear, rear left, right, and then a separate subwoofer. Right. Oh, can you, can, you can buy one thing that's just all in one now, right? Yeah, it's a fairly common little device you get that's like a, it's as kind of almost as wide as a TV and it's probably got... 10 little speakers in it, but it's designed to do the woofing. I mean, even the, uh, do all the woofing you need, even a cheap flat screen TV that you could just run out and buy at Walmart today is like 10 times the size of what you and I grew up watching zoom and electric company on in the world. (laughs) So like, yeah, good, good screen experiences are so cheap today. How have we never done an omnibus on the, in a, in a world person? I think you talked about it once. Yeah. Don, what's his name? Don LaFontaine, I think. Don LaFontaine. There was a documentary about him. We should, uh, well, you know, if there's a documentary, we kind of don't need to recapitulate that here. This is just for the unknown stories. Or we could just 
cheat and uh, retell the documentary <laughs> in podcast form. Maybe we should do that. We should do a whole like series where we just watch documentaries and then then talk about what we found. Did you know that it was really hard to see the CEO of General Motors in the late 80s in Flint, Michigan? One of my problems is that I often will do a show and then realize there's a documentary and go, if I had watched the documentary, <laughs> we did that Beanie Babies episode. And then only after did I see all these these ads for like, there's a new Beanie Babies documentary. And I was like, I did that show two weeks ago. There have definitely uh, been cases where um, like I kind of half knew an interesting story and like in, a, in trying to figure out how to do it for Omnibus. I ended up finding out there's like a pretty good documentary about it. And in many cases, you know, the documentary played the Minneapolis Film Festival and oh, never got distributed. No so, one saw it, yeah. so, yeah, I can just watch it and uh, pretend I'm an expert yeah. on this subject now. <laughs> just jump on the back of that horse. I'd like to thank those uncompensated filmmakers who helped me out there. <laughs> N- nameless as they were then. All working as greeters <laughs> now at supermarkets around the country. I love you all. Well, uh, do you have, are you someone, this is something that I don't understand at all, but I, but I assume you do, which is having a preference for a, a certain studio in a certain era. Isn't that funny? That, are you um, like a Warner's guy? Do, or? do you see it in, um, in, they do it now in trailers. They'll be like from the studio that brought you. And then it'll just be like, uh, whatever. Titanic. Yeah, some oh. movie. 20th Century Fox, the largest media company in the world? Good job. I, I'm going I'm to be sure to see this because it's from the studio that brought me Shrek. You do get that with Marvel and Disney, right? A lot of yes. like f- like faithful consumers of a certain and in the loyalist. St- in the studio era of Hollywood, it was actually pretty common for the, for the, um, the different studios to have brands that would be well-known to the audience. Well, and actors and actresses that were under exclusive contract. Sure. So, so if you un- wanted to see Cary Grant. Unless he gets loaned out, you're only going to see him at Warner Brothers or wherever he is. But, you know, Warner Brothers was the classy one. You'd see the good biopics and the comedies that had the big, big names. Um, Universal had all the monster pictures. Mm-hmm. Um, MGM had the big Technicolor lavish musicals. So studios really Money had losers. a... Really had a <laughs> <laughs> not back then... I mean, people would people would just love to see Judy Garland and Mickey Rooney do whatever. Right. Whereas today, I don't want to see them do any. I can't think of a single thing I want to see them do. <laughs> but also Ben-Hur and stuff like that. Was that MGM or did yeah, everybody well, have epics? Coming into the 50s, I mean, everybody had to follow that. I feel like maybe that's more of a, yeah, I don't know. I'm going to get it wrong. I think they all had them. You know, Fox almost went bankrupt chasing that with Cleopatra. Yeah. And uh, if I'm getting that right. But that kind of went away as the studio era went away. What was Columbia Pictures known for? Mm, hmm, I don't know if I have a good answer. I mean, you had a you had a like a thumbnail sketch of every other movie studio, but Columbia didn't have its own identity. Wasn't was Columbia smaller than the other majors? I mean, I uh Really, the only company you mentioned Disney, and that's amazing because Disney maintained its brand as, you know, your one-stop shopping place for the the best engineered family entertainment from like the late twenties until today. And they candidly did it with, I mean, they went through a dark time in the seventies after Walt died, but right, they mostly did it with acquisitions. So did we all. Oh man, it's a rough, it's a rough couple of years for me. But they mostly did it with acquisitions. You know, they they found out oh, people sure. liked the Muppets, so they bought the Muppets. They found out people liked Star Wars, so they bought the Star Wars. Uh, 
ditto for Marvel and then Fox. And I mean, I don't know if Columbia actually had a. Well, Columbia was a, a was a small studio in the in the twenties, but they became. Um, and, and some of it was, uh, Capra was at Columbia. Yeah. Some of it was acquisitions, but they became one of the big five studios, um, along the way. And, and now are one of the, uh, I guess they're the third, uh, largest movie studio in the world. Well, I think, well, Sony bought them sometime in the eighties or nineties. When I go down to tape Jeopardy at, 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 uh, Sony. It's on the Columbia studios lot. I mean, it's now called the Sony lot. It's the old MGM lot, actually. So the thing you oh. the thing you first see, which is kind of for the visitors, is a massive rainbow. Yeah. All because Wizard of Oz was shot on the MGM lot. Um, but there's a, there's something I walk by that has a big Sony logo, and then it also has a giant Columbia Pictures logo as well. So they've kept up that. Well, what's on the mark. water tower? What does it say up there? Sony now? Because it used to say Columbia, right? Wasn't that part of their their branding? I feel like there's like Spider-Man posters. It says Sony Pictures now. It says Sony. Yeah. There, also, yeah. also, there's Spider-Man everywhere and a giant four-story tall Alex Trebek. Oh, isn't which, that nice? Which is what you want. Yeah, we miss him. Uh, the you know Columbia had the the Three Stooges. Um, it was it was a prominent studio throughout the 30s and 40s. Rita Hayworth was their big. Star and of course, you know my dad. Every time, every time he got into his airplane during the war, he would he would kiss his picture of Rita Hayworth goodbye. He wasn't a uh, he wasn't a Betty Davis. Guy. I love Gene Arthur, who was oh, yeah, uh, that's nice. Who was a big oh, because she was in all those Capra movies. She was a big Columbia star. But I think we all know uh, we all know from the Columbia Pictures logo, as we would say in in. Uh, on the Lower East Side, we all know. For, we all know from that logo. <laughs> I don't know from logos, John. <laughs> I'm just a kid from the streets. The Columbia Pictures logo of uh, of a, a woman holding a torch. Her the 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 Lady Liberty is that of who it Columbia is? The Pictures. Lady well, she very much resembles the Statue of Liberty uh, when you think about it. I In mean, that it's a, a woman with a torch in her a woman right with hand. a torch, and she's wearing a she's a, a robe a like robe. a classical robe, right? Um, she's not covered toga. in oxidized copper and she doesn't have, she does have head weight. No, she doesn't have headgear. So at first, the very earliest Columbia pictures logo, she was wearing quite an elaborate headdress. Um, not, not quite a statue of Liberty, but, but a, uh, maybe a more erect, um, almost Babylonian kind of like kind of a Phrygian crown. cap or yeah. no, it's, it's a crown c- c- crownish. I mean, it's, it's, um, it's kind of hard to exactly piece out what it is. It has just occurred to me now that it's the reason why that's the logo is because Columbia has a history of being a female symbol, right? Right. Well, Columbia, the, the, the term was used for the Americas, uh, and it, and she was, a uh, personified by a woman. When did we get away from that? How did we get uncle Sam? Was it the patriarchy? So, yeah, it's always the patriarchy. I don't think people can. are going to remember that the personification of America in the 19th century and after was a like a classically dressed woman, right? Right. And she was, um, you know, she was applied to all the Americas, to the New World from a time. Sure, Columbus. Yeah, right. Uh, yeah, and, and in a way, I think personifying her as Columbia 
enabled us to, uh, from you know, 17th century, the, the, it was a pivot away from associating the continent with Christopher Columbus himself and became a way of, of um, you know, District of Columbia isn't named after Christopher Columbus. It's named after the goddess Columbia. Who was kind of a a new legendary new world figure. Right. Is it, is there an attempt to compete with the, the old world that has, um, you know, Marianne, like this kind of legendary female symbol of France, you know, the one you see in mm-hmm. Liberty leading the people or whatever that painting is, you know, early depictions of Columbia. She was, a she was a native American. Oh, that makes more sense. And, and, uh, and then, you know, she kind of gradually, got more and more uh, uh, Gaelic. I mean, honestly, it's the kind of thing where if it was still a Native American woman today, it would probably have to go away for other reasons. You know, like 19th century and, you know, old old representations of Native Americans as, as uh, symbols for modern American culture have not fared real well. Yeah, and and that you know the the idealized image of a Native American Columbia kind of coexisted with the you know with the more pre Uncle Sam, uh, in, in, you know, in her Greco Roman robes. Yeah, exactly. With you know, with the stars and stripes behind her, like I think the Columbian Exposition, um, the Chicago World's Fair, which was. Some anniversary, right? It was 1892. 1892. 400 years since Columbus. And, the, you know, there were depictions kind of side by side. I've seen a statue of Columbia from the exposition where she is, you know, kind of a Pocahontas. Oh, right. And Britain has Britannia. Britannia. That's probably what we're competing with, right? A, a kind of an Amazon-type warrior with a with a feathered helmet and a and a... Shield. Yeah, and that is the original logo of Columbia Pictures. So Columbia Pictures originally founded in 1919 was called the Cohen Brandt Cohen CBC um, Film Company in its early years. Two Cohens. Two Cohens and a and a Brandt. And you know what that gets you? Two Cohens and a Brandt. I, I actually don't. No, you can't even get a subway ride for two Cohens and a Brandt. But by 1924, they had chosen Columbia as their um, as the name of their studio, and they chose, of course, that image of Columbia as a Roman goddess. Uh, and their original, the the original emblem, she was not holding a torch. She had a shield, like a like she was wearing a toga, had a shield and kind of a um, like a staff, like a small. So she's carrying a kind of like a Roman baton in one hand, which is like a symbol of military leadership, and she's got a shield, and there she's got garlands and so forth. But by um, by the mid twenties, they kind of modernized that emblem, and we got the the first version of that Columbia Pictures iconic sort of Lady Liberty looking character. She's holding a torch. Uh, Black and white, of course, and the torch is actually kind of flickering in the initial version of it. It's a painting, uh, but but the torch is animated, and this would appear before a Columbia before Pictures a film. shorter a feature. Yeah, and and Columbia, the Columbia name is in a big arch over the top of her, and it it sets the stage for what would what would be a century of Columbia Pictures using 
a logo with this statuesque, toga-bedecked um, personification of the Americas. And in fact, in that early version, the suggestion is that the toga or the cloak across the toga is actually an American flag. I see. So it is Columbia Gem of the Oceans. Right. By the way, is, is, is Columbia Gem of the Oceans kind of, was kind of the de facto national anthem before the Star Spangled Banner caught on? I mean, that's kind of an early, it's a very popular, like, 19th century song. I guess it was never, maybe it was never in advance of the Star Spangled Banner. I mean, the Star Spangled Banner is like War of 1812, right? So it was right, hard but, to... Uh, but the U.S. had no national anthem at the time. So in the 1800s, there were like kind of interchangeably five patriotic songs, Star Spangled Banner, Hail Columbia, Yankee Doodle, My Country Tis of the End, Columbia, Gem of the Oceans, fully two of which are about Columbia, and none of which were any, you know, had any official status over the others. Was Hail Columbia, did it continue to be played as, um, oh, right. Star Spangled Banner wasn't officially the national anthem until 1930. Wow. Or 31. So yeah, Hail Columbia must have, must have played, uh, right alongside it. And it was, I guess it was originally kind of one of the early presidential marches, like before Hail to the Chief became standardized. We're hailing Columbia all the way down. That's nice. Yeah, that's you nice. Know, the president's not the president. He just, he's representing Colombia. He's representing Colombia, our female emblem. So it was, you know what? What this does, it throws into doubt the entire story of America as a patriarchal nation. Do you think the it's the appearance of Colombia as a separate South American nation that kind of discourages the use of Colombia as a metonymy or a synecdoche, whichever it is for America? Yeah, possibly. I mean, we, it does sound weird that we're just using a misspelled name of another country for our nickname. We do still say Britannia for Britain to a certain extent, at least in World War II. Because the, oh, the, their, their, song, their song, Rule Britannia, stuck yeah. around longer than our Columbia songs, I right. guess. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I, th- I, this particular statue I'm thinking of is in a sandwich place in Tacoma. Somehow they inherited this beautiful marble of Colombia, and I'm very in love with it, and I uh, I would buy it from them, but, you know, they'll never sell. A bunch of hippies happen to have this wonderful statue. Hey, everybody's got a price, John, even hippies. You know what? You're not wrong. I'm feeling really pleased with myself today, John, because I remembered to cancel a TV channel during the seven-day free trial period. Wow, how did you even manage to do it? You you watched TV for a couple of days and you were like, this is not for me? I watched the one movie I wanted to see on this channel and then I've had to set a little notify update on my phone to remind me to cancel the damn thing before it became $5.99 a month. I've been paying for an app for a year and I have never used it once. And every week I say, oh, I got to cancel that thing. And I still haven't done it. That's why they want you to sign up for those things. Yeah. Because they think you'll forget to unsubscribe. And even though you don't use the surface, they'll just keep siphoning money off you for months to come. Yeah, they hope it they hope it never goes away, right? You forget about it. We want to recommend to you Truebill. If you were to download Truebill, it would manage all your subscriptions for you. It'll figure out what stuff you're not using but you're still paying for, which ones you forgot about. The average Truebill user saves about $720 a year. You know, not everybody is as circumspect as you and I are about subscribing to things, right? People, I think, 
in the contemporary economy recognize that subscriptions are how you get the things that you want, but they're, they also are susceptible to a lot of things that they don't want to pay for anymore. And, and companies specifically make it hard to cancel, you know, so you've right. got to know where on the site to do it. Here's all the hoops you have to jump through. Truebill will do that automatically for you. That's why I still get Time Magazine. Peace of mind. They have over 2 million users and have collectively saved them over $100 million. So how do I use Truebill? It's easy, John. Don't fall for subscription scams. Start canceling today by going to Truebill.com slash Omnibus. So you're saying if I go to Truebill.com slash Omnibus, it could save me thousands a year? That's right. Truebill.com slash Omnibus. So the Torch Lady... uh, Appears in the beginning of uh, of all those very classic silent movie era Columbia Pictures films, but the one we know best, the classic logo that lasted the longest, that appears in front of Columbia Pictures throughout their heyday and all the way into the mid seventies, uh, appeared for the first time in nineteen thirty six, and it is a very identifiable Lady Columbia in the you know in the same model of the um, the earlier versions from the twenties, but she looks like a very specific person. She looks like a very it's specific photorealistic. Person. That's right, and she uh, she has a lot of the kind of uh, identifying characteristics that we think of. She's standing on a pedestal uh, now instead of it's just. Ter- it's terrible how we do that to women. John. Yep, she, uh, we put her right up on a pedestal. Um, there are there are a bunch of f- like floaty clouds behind her, so she's standing either on a mountaintop or on a pedestal that is also a spaceship or on top of a spaceship. She's lost her headdress. Um, and the American flag is still an element. Do oh, you is see that right? That? Do you see that? Really it's still here. a suggestion. Is it that blue? Is it the thing, the blue thing she's wrapped in? Is yeah. That- yeah. It's still, it's still intended as a, um, Oh, right. It's a hat tip to the American flag. It's, it's got blue and red in it. Yeah. And this becomes uh this becomes the the logo all the way through the 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 big years, the the uh well, yeah, what would you call it? The ho- the ha- Hollywood heyday, golden age of Hollywood. And it survives through the transition to color. So it becomes the same logo becomes now a color logo, it's not, the transition to color doesn't result in a redesign, but one of the big revelations of the transition to color is it turns out that the Columbia lady is a redhead. She appears with flaming red hair, which was, I think, probably pretty exciting. It was to me. I mean, it's a, what is it? It's not really, the current one has has an animation element. You zoom out the way you do into the paramount mountain or whatever now but originally it was just a static frame yeah and was it a painting what what was it it was a it was a painting so they had uh, to do so it was always in color so it was not a problem to when color movies came in well see that's a, a really good question i don't know if the original painting uh, if they just used the original painting as like because it did have animation the the uh the torch would variously kind of flicker or beam um so I'm not sure whether it was a whether the original painting survived or whether they took a took the black and white facsimile and colorized it. Right. 
in the transition? I'm looking at Columbia's identity in the 40s and 50s and 60s. A lot of kind of low-budget film series in the 50s. But also, you know, big hits and Oscar winners. From Here to Eternity, On the Waterfront, Bridge on the River Kwai. You know, they won Best Picture three out of five years in the 50s. And then in the 60s, they kept putting out kind of these classy old-fashioned movies like A Man for All Seasons and Oliver, which also won Best Picture. But they also put out Easy Rider. Yeah. Um, so they were, you know, they they were adapting to the counterculture in the closing years of the studio system. Well, and the 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 tra- the the change another change happened as widescreen came in. Um, the the oh, sure. the Torch Lady was still there and centered, but the actual word Columbia got stretched out. You had to. Yeah. Lots more clouds now. Lots more clouds. I mean, of all the movie theater logos, a Columbia lady is is the least appropriate to move to 2.35 to 1 well, cause cinemascope she's, ratio. Yeah, she's, she's standing ver- straight up and down. She's a vertical phone, fo- or a horizontal, or sorry, a vertical phone uh, person in a horizontal phone world now. Right. So they just, yeah, they added a big word and, you know, a Colum- the Paramount Mountain does mm-hmm. just fine. 20th Century Fox. The, whatever that big searchlight thing is. Yeah. The MGM line, they just had to add more scrolly stuff to the side of it. Right. But this is this definitely becomes a a very big cloud. And really, it's funny to look at the two logos next to each other because the typeface is the same. It's just the the word the word is just increasingly stretched out the bigger the aspect ratio goes. Kerning. All, Kerning solved their problem. All the way to like IMAX where they actually added extra clouds on the sides coming back up. Like there's the big cloud behind her and then there's all these new clouds. They should have added extra letters. Like IMAX should say, it's Columbia, man. Columbiana. (laughs) It's funny that these, you know, all these little things which were drawn or shot like in the 20s and 30s have to continually be revived every decade, you know, with... You know, now the Paramount Mountain has a camera flying through it and now the Disney Castle... Has a train going in front of it, and they got rid of the 20th century on the Fox, lo- or no, they got rid of the Fox from the 20th century logo. Yeah. Well, and that happened here, too. In um, in 1976, there was that, you know, some pressure to, like, modernize this logo that dated back to the 20s, but specifically a logo that really was unchanged since the 30s. And in 1976, so what would have been 40 years later. And it looks pretty old-fashioned compared to the others at it this does. point. It Ma- does. Mountains and lions don't age. But but a uh, shield that says WB can look the same. The the uh, but, but Lady a, a, Liberty. A lady in a toga with a torch is yeah. it looks weirder in front of Taxi Driver than it probably did in front of a Capra movie. And the uh, you know and the the uh, the typeface of the word Columbia is very much you could see if you had looked at it for years and years and years that it would be uh that it would seem a little bit yeah. stuck in time. Um, so in 1976, they decided they're going to redo it. And what they did was they kind of genericized the Torch Lady. She no longer has such a distinctive character to her face. She becomes kind of a, she's blandly made to look like more or less a, a, an average white lady. Um and she's given a kind of, she's just, if it can be said to be slightly out of focus, almost. She's de-emphasized as a, as a unique character. 
and they put in a, an animation where the, you know, that starts with the Columbia logo and then we zoom in on the torch and then the torch becomes, remember that stylized yeah. Columbia pictures kind of sun? Yeah, rays appear. Rays appear. Triangular rays. And, it, you know, and then, and then it's the new Columbia logo, which is Columbia pictures. And it's got, yeah, it's got like a white sun and then a blue halo around A lot it. of the studios tried to redo their logos around that time in kind of misfiery ways. MGM briefly got rid of the lion. If you watch the two, 2001 Space Odyssey, I think it has this weird kind of MGM stylized lion that looks like this Columbia logo. Because this is around the same time that, you know, NBC went to that big chunky N and right. you know, everybody wanted a more graphic, forward-friendly idea. And some of them were just terrible. And it was a real uh, revolution in Hollywood, too. This was new Hollywood, and we were yep. leaving behind the the all the very, very, very problematic aspects of old Hollywood and we were going to well, make in theory, we were going to be, yeah, that's right. Inshallah again, as we say, and in <laughs> fact, you know, uh, Harry Cohen, who was president of Columbia through all of that mid century period was, you know, a, re- reputedly a terrible Weinstein type of a, of yeah, Hollywood sex criminal. But then he died in the late fifties and got what's coming to him. Yeah, well, he, he, that's right. He's in hell. He ended up. He ended up dead, like they all did, like all the bad people did of the past. Speaking of people who ended up dead, do we know anything about the models for the torch lady? Like, who is it? Just an artist's impression? Well, so by the sixties, there was already curiosity about. Wait a minute. We've been looking at this very distinctive and particular woman in the front of all these Columbia pictures. And she's very pretty. And who is she? What's her number? Uh, And it was immediately clear that no one knew. (laughs) There weren't... That's always good when it's immediately clear that nobody knows. There weren't records of... There weren't podcasts of people making up information like like, today. Who was this person? Uh, No one had kept a record. Uh, Betty Davis wrote in her autobiography what she called The Lonely Life, which is which is sad. Well, sad primarily because that was going to be the title of my autobiography <laughs> until I saw that she had done it. But in 1962, she wrote that the original Columbia picture, and not the original, because the, the, the woman that posed for the Roman goddess with the shield Silent in Arrow. the mid-20s, Lost a time. There's just no kind of record of her. All of the Harry Cohen had her murdered the next day. That's right. All of the all of the uh, the women who have been proposed as the model, they all are of the uh, uh, of the the next era, the the early 30s version, and in particular the the 1936 redesign. But Betty Davis said that uh, a Columbia bit player by the name of Claudia Dell had posed for the original painting. And, you know, this was an era when there were a lot of people kind of hanging around the studio under very low, low money contracts to just be background players, bit players, so many, you know, the classic era of, of Hollywood. Pretty girls from all over the Midwest. Who all showed Got up off with, a bus. A, with a with their hat box and uh, yeah. and hoping to break into the movies. And Claudia Dell was not ever 
she didn't ever make it into uh, like the credits of a film. I think she was in a Warner Brothers. Sorry, got to walk that back. Uh, Claudia Dell actually made it into the picture. She starred in the Warner Brothers musical Sweet Kitty Belairs. But for most of the time, she was uh, kind of under contract as a as a player at Columbia. You know, she was just doing as she described it. You know, you just kind of do whatever they want you to do. And at one such point, such a weird system, by the way. Yeah, the guy at a desk tells you you're in this movie, and next week you're the secretary in that movie, and we got something good for you in the spring if you're good as a secretary. And they told her at one point to you know go in there and and pose for uh, you know some pictures, and she gets in, some and there's publicity a, stuff. You know, there's a there's twenty other girls in there, all in there. Uh, and their togas? Well, or like they drape a sheet over them and take a picture. And she didn't really think more about it until uh, she was sitting in the movies one one day and saw the Columbia logo. And she was like, it's me. But it didn't get, she couldn't prove it. And Betty Davis said this kind of offhandedly in her book. No one could really research it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there was another, um, in 1976... People magazine came out saying that uh, that another bit player by the name of Jane Bartholomew had a similar story. Had had um, and again had no real. Sc- she she was a bit player that ended up with no screen credits and just kind of like lived in the studio ecosystem. And a lot of times, you know, people people that were part of that universe would end up kind of tangentially moving into the office and then would get married to, you know, somebody that worked in the studio and they, they stayed kind of in, in the Hollywood ecosystem, but didn't end up in the movies. Jane Bartholomew had a similar story, uh, you know, called in with a whole gaggle of, of other actresses who were just being told like, here's what you're going to do today. Here's your call. And, Again, kind of draped in a toga, pictures taken. It's and funny how common this is with uh, old-time images. There will be competing claims. Like, do you remember the the VE? Is it the VE Day picture or the Kissing in Times Square? Is yeah, that VE right. or VJ Day? That's VJ Day. There's like five or six people who are swear out a stack of Bibles that it's them. Yeah. And uh, they I was there, and I got kissed exactly that way. They can't all be publicity seekers. I recognize her. She was she was a nurse in my hospital. Those I, are my shoes. They can't all be right. Well, and in particular with the Columbia logo, uh, she's just a very distinctive looking person. And although it it's been transmitted into a painting, mm-hmm. um, it's still you know it's not just generic uh, lady. It's, she has unique characteristics. So people, people in 76 made a, you know, kind of made a stand that it was Jane Bartholomew. Um, but in 1987, people came out with a different story. People magazine, stick to your story. I guess you got to embrace the science when that's how science works. That's right. When there's new, when there's new hypotheses, uh, a bit player on the Columbia lot who did appear in wizard of Oz as really? just a kind of, you know, a character in the, in the background, uh, by the name of Amelia bachelor 
had a story where she was, was called in and actually modeled for an Italian painter who sat and painted in oil while she stood in a toga. I guess you would have lots of different versions of a corporate logo for different purposes, right? Except people could remember this for a mural or for some other... But they're all... It's, I mean, there's no picture that comes out that has a different version of this but logo. Maybe, but I'm saying is maybe it's not for a movie. Oh. You know. Hanging in someone's office. Sure. It's for a brochure. It's for a trade show. I don't know. This entry in the omnibus is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform for building your brand and growing a business online because they can help you create a beautiful website Engage with your audience and sell anything, whether that's your products, your content, even your time. We use Squarespace and uh, whatever it is you're making, doing or selling, Squarespace has all the tools you need to get your business off the ground. Easy to use. They have custom templates, for example, you know, so you can, they have best in class templates for no matter what your site is or needs to look like. You just search for the category of business you have and they've got a website look that will work for you. JohnRoderick.com is a Squarespace template that I modded to be cool, as cool as me. I mean, maybe you're starting a business that's by appointment and you're going to be a personal trainer or offer consulting services. Guess what? You can also add online booking and scheduling to your Squarespace site. They've already got an engine ready to go that'll handle all your booking and scheduling. Whatever it is you're making, doing, or selling, Squarespace has all the tools you need to get your business off the ground. So it's not just a website. You also get inventory management, you get web checkout, you get secure payments. It all comes bundled together. So head to squarespace.com omnibus for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code omnibus to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. I guess all of these are in contention for the classic logo. And I think all of these women had the experience of being in the being in a movie theater, seeing the logo appear on the screen, remembering their experience, posing for it, and recognizing themselves in the painting. But maybe one of the more credible pop, you know, cl- claims to the throne, claims well, to the pedestal. It's a bit of a shade, but okay. Uh, was the actress Evelyn Venable, who was, you know, ha- had many roles on Columbia. She was in Death Takes a Holiday. She ended up, she's the voice and characterization of the Blue Fairy in Pinocchio. That's just what I was going to say. Yeah. So she's a, you know, a well-known actress of the time, uh, a famous beauty, and also had a recollection of posing during this period as the girl holding a torch in a toga. Maybe Harry Cohn had 20 girls in every Friday night and, and put them in togas for reasons of his own. That's right. He picked them all because they all looked the same. Um, she, Evelyn Venable had a, a, a lot of these people had very interesting lives after, after their initial early thirties stint as, as toga models. Evelyn Venable went on to teach Greek and Latin at UCLA. Huh. Uh, but, you know, a couple of, of the women married film producers, you know, it was, a, it, was a, it was a heady time, as we so often say. So many heady times in the past. <laughs> but it's, um, it, remained, it remained contentious. It was unclear 
among all of those candidates, you know, there, there wasn't documentation and it was very hard to prove or disprove. Everyone had a credible story. They all, you know, uh, they all had had this experience and, and you put them up next to the Columbia logo and you're like, yeah, I guess you kind of, yeah, that could be you. Just like all the nurses that kissed a sailor in Times Square. In 1992, oh, so after the, the, the weird late 70s era where they tried to do this new thing where, the, where they zoomed in on a modern logo and the, the model became very generic, uh, in 81, they returned to the traditional Torch Lady. Oh, is that right? Yeah. But, I think I associate the weird one with the movie Annie. I think the Annie movie yeah. has, the, has uh, the weird graphic torch. Yeah, everything that would have been there in the late 70s. But then but then they went back to the Painted Lady? 81, they realized, no, 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 we, the classic logo is actually pretty fresh. But they put her on a much bigger pedestal, and they draped her with more rags. So she's... She looks a lot. She's burdened. She's a little burdened, but it's it's clearly the same lady. Oh, it's not a new. Mm-mm. And it isn't until the '90s that Columbia says we need to redo this. Like, there's a lot more going on in in the title sequences of movies now, and we need we want to keep the same vibe, but we need a more a more flexible set of of those paintings, right? I mean, you know, there's so many different ways, as you say, to use them and, and employ them. So many different kinds of film now aspect ratios and whatnot. And we need a, we need like a base level. That's not based on this 1936 artwork. Right. And so they hire a painter by the name of Michael Diaz, who is a, a new Orleans painter. And he, is kind of the guy who was doing all of the celebrity paintings for U.S. stamps at the time. <laughs> so he did like, the Marilyn did you, Monroe did stamp. Did you do the fat Elvis? He did the... Uh, I guess that would be 90s. Yeah, he did James Dean. He did Bogart. I remember he, that James Dean stamp. Yeah, he did all those stamps, and they were like, you're the guy. And so he called his friend, the photographer Kathy Anderson, a both New Orleans people, and said, you know, Let's get a model in here. You can take pictures of her, and uh, and then I'll paint from your picture. And so they did a they did this logo, but somehow it wasn't. Um, I guess this is in a just pre internet world where when the new logo appeared. Um, it bore a striking resemblance to Annette Benning. Yeah, I've thought that before. And the the kind of popular conspiracy theory was that it was Annette Benning, so much so that someone told Annette Benning, and although she never claimed it was her, she looked at it and said, it does look like me. And there was a period where uh, it was in danger of becoming conventional wisdom that it was Annette Benning was the new, had just been appropriated and was the new Columbia. But it was not? So it inspired enough um, early internet ombudsmanship where people were like, is this Annette Benning? What's going on here? That some, that they went, you know, all the players were, were knowable 
Right. And so they went to Michael Diaz and he went to Kathy Anderson and the real story came out, which was that a woman by the name of Jenny Joseph, a woman by the name of Jenny Joseph, who worked at the Times Picayune. She's not even a model? Not only is she, was she not a model prior, but she has never modeled since. She was just a friend of Kathy Anderson. And she agreed to come down and they handed her, they draped her in a sheet, handed her a lamp, a table lamp, and said, hold up this lamp and we'll take some pictures of you. And Kathy Anderson took all these pictures of her and, you know, kind of standing in this classic pose. And it's just photo reference. Holding a lamp, right. Um, it's And she's got a sheet and then she's got another blue kind of, uh, you know, toga shawl. Uh, Diaz was told to leave the American flag out because in this latest version, you know. Well, Sony bought Columbia in 89. Right. So. Time to redo it and, and make it a more international. Yep thing but uh but so jenny joseph there are all these wonderful photographs of her and she is the columbia woman right she's the i wonder if people recognized her on the street are you the columbia lady she's just a little bit idealized in the painting yeah because it's a painting of a photo of her it's a painting of a photo right and so there's just enough that that you could you could pass her in the street and yeah. go like oh you look like annette benning i mean diaz mostly just probably wants the play of light and you know He's a painter. He he needs reference. Yeah, but it's He's a not very, doing a portrait of her. It's a very three D painting. I yeah. mean, it's a very it's very uh, from life. Um, and imagine, so imagine if you just help out a friend once for like half an hour, and then you're Chef Boyardee for for fifty years. And and that's been her experience. Like she's gone on and lived a a normal life. You know, in journalism. Yeah, journalist, a wife and mother. Like, and every time she goes to the the movies and it's a Columbia picture. There she is, instantly recognizable to everyone she knows. And, you know, she reports that it's the, it's the thing kind of like you where you've got, uh, you've got kids that don't think the thing you do is cool, but because you were on The <laughs> Simpsons or whatever, right. you're, you're like cool for the one thing. She's like, no, your mom is cool. Look, here I am again. Have you seen the movie where it is Annette Benning? Have you heard of this? Yeah, well, so then that was such, a, uh, that was such a, an internet rumor that an Annette Benning movie. It was um, this terrible Warren Beatty misfire with Gary Shandling called What Planet Are You From? Yeah, What Planet Are You From? And my, I think Mike Nichols directed it as a favor to, to you know, Warren and Annette or somebody. And then it just turned out to be a terrible movie. And Mike Nichols and Gary Shandling hated each other. And uh, Mike Nichols ripped off his eyebrows and threw them at Gary Shandling. But they actually superimposed Annette Benning's face on it. And Columbia thought that the whole thing was such a lark that they agreed. Yeah. They were like, yeah, sure, put Annette Benning's face on there. But there was a history of this. Have you seen, like, the, there's a 70s disco movie where um, the Columbia lady just um, breaks into animated oh, right. Right. disco dance. Like, it turns out she's got, like, kind of a bell-bottoms outfit on under her toga, and she does a few disco steps. You know, there's uh, nothing that a Hollywood studio wants more than to be hip and new and modern. They, they're certainly doing a lot of that with the Hollywood logos now. Like it's, it's, it's no longer a surprise when I remember going to Waterworld in 1990, whenever that came out and seeing in the universal logo, the oceans overflow and cover the continents. And I was like, Whoa, they reanimated the logo just for the movie. And now it happens all the time. Yeah. There's nothing new under the sun, and everything that was once cool is now corny. Even Waterworld, which was the epitome of cool when it came out. 
Well, a uh, in a final wrinkle after the the revelation that the that the model of the contemporary Columbia logo is a real person and her name is Jenny Joseph and the kind of fun reveal that she was not a professional model, that this was all just an afternoon's lark and that Kathy Anderson was like, oh, I know a, you know, I know a pretty lady. Yeah. She'll come down and hold up this desk lamp. And all of the wonderful photos there, you know, they're candid photos from the session oh. of her just kind of sitting and being a sad Keanu staring off into space during the photo session because, you know, her arm was tired. And so it's wonderful to see all these pictures of of the Columbia lady, except, you Just know. Eating a sandwich. Yeah, hiking up her uh, her toga to reveal her, her regular shoes. <laughs> but then a new discovery of some very old photographs from the 1930s shed new light on the original Columbia. There are late-breaking developments in the Columbia lady story. In the 1930s, a woman by the name of Rose Edna Turillo worked for Columbia Pictures in New York. And her husband, a man by the name of James Turillo, was a photographer. Mm. And after her death, photographs were discovered of her taken by her husband, standing in a toga with the torch. Look, I've taken those photos of my wife, too. I don't want people going through those after our deaths. But those photos were then taken and with computers superimposed over the actual Columbia logo, and it was determined that, in fact, it was those exact photos, and she is the Columbia Pictures torch. This is what we love on Omnibus, when late-breaking computer research uh, gives us... um, revisionist views of the past like now we know whether or not the immaculate reception actually was incomplete or not because somebody made a 3d model from eight different camera angles and and was it or wasn't it uh i think maybe it was somebody on the grassy knoll mm, fake no fake news i'm not sure i the the name may actually be uh turiello so it turns out rose edna turiello is the is the Columbia Torch Lady from the 1930s all the way through to, well, till she was finally ultimately replaced by Jenny Joseph in, in the 1990s. Uh, too late for her to get any credit or anything. Yes, but, I mean, and that's, that's weird that over the, over the many, many decades that she never sort of stepped forward and said, I actually have the picture of me, here it is right here. Maybe... Maybe again, it was like, oh well, maybe Betty Davis says that it's Claudia Dell. So, Betty Davis, maybe she's right. Do you uh, you think the MGM lion would have been so humble? Rawr. That's me. Rawr. <laughs> you know, you can actually see the Paramount Mountain not far from uh, Ogden, Utah. I have. It's not Annapurna. It's not Annapurna. You can. It's. I guess the guy who designed it was from that part of. Oh. The country. And he later said, yeah, I based it on Ben Lomond or whatever, some local peak. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, so that's that's good for the local tourist board. Come see the Paramount Mountain. It's really important that we take all of the things that used to be interesting and just just flatten them out by figuring them out and just saying like, oh, no, that's actually a pile of garbage that was in somebody's backyard. You thought it was magic. No, that is what art is now. 
Like that's not a fountain, Marcel Duchamp. It's an upside down urinal. Like it's all about the it's all about the backstory now. Give me the backstory. That's the art. You know, if you can make an NFT of the backstory, <laughs> I'll buy it. I want to know about the urinal cinematic universe. Like, where did it come from? And that concludes the Torch Lady, entry one three one nine dot mt two five zero seven, certificate number two eight five six four, in the omnibus. As you may know, unless this is the very first omnibus you've ever listened to, in which case you probably think it's a show all about 1940s movie marketing. Uh, it's hardly ever a show about 1940s movie marketing. Uh, John and I, uh, in our time, were at John Roderick and at Ken Jennings, respectively, on social media. You can find us jointly at Omnibus Project. You can email us at theomnibusproject at gmail.com. You can mail us at P.O. Box 55744, Shoreline, Washington, 98155, which is just a P.O. Box. Don't, like, don't take a Greyhound bus there and try to hang out with us. We don't We don't live there. Uh, at best, you'll see me or my wife once every couple of weeks, and then we'll, we'll just run back to our car mm-hmm. away from you mm-hmm. and whatever weird thing you're waving at us. Mm-hmm. Can confirm. Uh, you can find other listeners of Omnibus who are, honestly, they probably have a lot to say about the golden age of Hollywood. And in the comments right now, they are already probably arguing about Columbia Pictures' identity in various decades. Mm-hmm. You can find them at the Futurelings, a Facebook group, a Reddit, a subreddit, uh, a Discord. It's some kind of offshoot of your other shows, but I wouldn't know because I'm not invited on them. You can support the show, most importantly, by going to patreon.com slash omnibusproject and checking out the remarkable perks and benefits available to supporters and subscribers. Choose the level that fits both your budget and your desire to get weird personal services from me and John that may intrude upon your privacy in ways you're not prepared for. Mm, but that's, In a good way or a bad way. It's kind of up to us, really. We don't let them choose. The good way would be if Ken showed up at your house. The bad way would be if I showed up at your house. Why? Because you're going to have like a t-shirt cannon? Well, no, because you're going to show up at their house and you're going to be polite and you're going to do what needs to be done. I made you some sugar cookies. And then you're going to leave. Whereas I'm going to show up at the house and who knows whether I'll leave. You'll never leave. I'll be like, what's for dinner? What else is for dinner? How long is he here? We only listened to his podcast three times and now he's... What's for second dinner? He's been here all night. (laughs) Futurelings, from our vantage point in your distant past, we have no idea how long our civilization survived. Did you say from our advantage point? Futurelings, from our advantage point in your distant past. Maybe it just sound like you were saying advantage point. For advantage point. Advantage point, love 16. Point McEnroe. Uh, we have no idea how long our civilization survived or whether you will recognize us from our painted images that appear before every episode in the in the future cast of Omnibus, whether those images are even us at all, or whether they're just paintings of of Ken dolls and a bunch of odd bearded men yeah. claim to be the model for That's the right. so called John Roderick animation. We hope and pray that this catastrophe we fear may never come, but we do hope and pray that if we are painted and there are images of us, that the painter gives us eyebrows. If the worst comes soon, this recording, like all our recordings, may have been our final word, but if providence allows, we hope to be back with you soon for another entry in the Omnibus. <laughs>